changed. In the name of your son, amen. Girl, that was good. That was good stuff. Boy, that was good right there. Al. That was good stuff. Yeah. You know what makes worship good is when the lyrics support grace. And uh, those songs certainly do. Uh, I'm Joe Davis. I'm the pastor here. Uh, you can bring those slides up. There we go. We're starting a new series today called Surviving in Egypt. Uh, the Life of Joseph. It'll be 102 weeks. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe 15, 16, something like that. <clears throat> but we're going to be talking about the life of Joseph. And before I get started, let me just tell you that the story of Joseph is possibly the most well-known biblical narrative in the world. It's one of the first you learn if you go to, I guess they used to have this thing called Sunday school or something. If you went to Sunday school, you learned about Joseph. Uh, this story has actually been adopted into many forms by, by secular um, entertainment companies, religious, secular, on-stage stuff, screen Modern literature, songs, there has been more done with the story of Joseph by, by the secular entertainment industry than almost any other biblical story. And so it's a well-known story, but there's a perspective on the life of Joseph we're going to take over the next several weeks. Our goal is to study the life of Joseph through the eyes of those redeemed by his descendant, Jesus of Nazareth. We will study the manifestations of God's power and sovereign grace that kept Joseph and, frankly, his whole family, and then by reaction to that, our whole hope alive. And so when you see surviving in Egypt, I want you to understand that's a metaphor. You understand that. It's about surviving earth. Egypt is a picture or an example of the world around us. And we must understand that just like with Joseph and his family, the only way they survived Egypt, the only way the Israelites survived Egypt was by grace. The only way we will survive this life is by grace. So I've titled the message, the first message in this series, Introduction to Dysfunction. <laughs> that's me, that's me. One of the reasons life is so hard in Egypt, it's because of our own dysfunction. Don't pretend like you don't have it. You do. But before we read today's passage, I want to just going to give a brief historic overview of one messed up family. By the way, that was the, the, the preview, uh, the sermon preview this week. Ever wonder why life in this world can be so hard? We answer that question and many more in this new series, Surviving Egypt. So that's what we're going to be going through, figuring out why life is so hard in Egypt, in this world. But the historical, I want to talk about one messed up family. First of all, I want you to see that this family, before anything ever happened, before any of their history, before any of their dysfunction, before any of their words, before any of their actions, based on no reason other than God's grace, God chose Abraham and his descendants and makes an incredibly ridiculous, undeserved promise to them. And he says in Genesis 12, 1 to 3, I'm just going to read it. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, 
and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and to him who dishonors you, I will curse you. And in all the families of the earth, you shall be blessed. So God makes this promise to Abraham, and it's not because Abraham was some great shepherd. <laughs> you know, I'm looking for somebody, Abraham, and you're doing a really good job looking out for those sheep. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. I'm going to choose your seed and make your seed uh, where Christ comes from, my son. And I'm going to make sure that the world is reconciled to myself because of your family, because you are doing such a great job of living. That's not the case. And you'll see more later. So we see that Abraham's family has undeserved favor. But then he also says, not only do you have favor and you will survive Egypt, but you're going to have suffering. It's not going to be without hardship, Abraham. And God makes it clear that there will be a long, hard process. Such is the nature of God's chosen children in a fallen world that hates us. And he says in Genesis 15, 12 and 13, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And the Lord said to Abraham, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners or travelers in a land that is not theirs. And they will be servants or slaves there. And they will be afflicted for four hundred years. That was Egypt. That was a prophecy of exile in Egypt. And the life of Joseph is the story of how God's chosen people became strangers in a land that was not theirs. And before we get to that even, I want to talk about the fact that this messed up family had generations of ridiculous, like Jerry Springer level dysfunction. <laughs> they were some messed up people that God chose, y'all, I'm telling you. The story of Isaac born to Sarah in her old age as promised by God. But Abraham didn't think that God could keep his promise. So instead, he decided to have a child with his handmaid, Hagar. And Ishmael was born. God said, no, 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 that's not the way it was supposed to work. Sarah's going to have your child, but I'm going to bless Ishmael's seed. And there will be enmity there. There's going to be conflict. And we know by history, Ishmael is the seed of the Arab race. And so you have this story about this thing with Sarah and Hagar and Ishmael and this dramatic effect that it had on everything. That's some serious dysfunction when your wife says, go have a baby with somebody else because I'm too old. You know, that could be something that Jerry would really like to talk about on his show. <laughs> right? I turn in. Then you have this dysfunctional sibling rivalry between Isaac and his sons, Jacob and Esau. Let me explain to you why. Jacob really loved this woman, Rachel. She was hot. She wanted, he wanted to marry Rachel, but Rachel's dad said, nah, you got to marry Leah, her older sister, first, and then maybe I'll let you marry Rachel. So Jacob marries Leah, but he really loves her younger sister, Rachel. Jacob loved Rachel. So you can see how already there's going to be conflict in that house. Jerry would love to get his hands on that story, I'm sure. 
From that point on, you can see there's going to be problems, especially when he starts having kids with both of them. <laughs> it's exactly, exactly. Oh, jeez. <laughs> you talk about sibling rivalry. This isn't about who gets the biggest piece of cake. Joseph was Jacob's 11th son. Rachel's first child, the, the wife that he really loved. He has 10 half-brothers with Leah and one full brother. And because of his love for Rachel, Joseph, the firstborn of Rachel, the woman he really loved, clearly that was his favorite child. And everyone knew it. All the kids knew. Oh, here comes Joseph, dad's favorite, blah, blah, blah. Here's the story in Genesis. We pick up our passage today. Genesis 37, verses 1 through 11. Jacob lived in the land of his father's travels in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilah and Zilpha, his father's wives. Oh, yeah, he had some more wives, by the way, just to make sure you know that. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. In other words, Joseph was a tattletale. Not only is he dad's favorite, he has to go, hey, dad, by the way, the other kids you don't like as much as me, they're not doing a good job in the, in the fields. Now, Israel is another name for Jacob. He changed his name to Israel. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that the father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated Joseph and could not speak peacefully to him. They didn't want to talk to him. They didn't want to say good morning. They wanted to say bad morning every day. That's how they wanted to greet him. Now, Joseph had a dream, and when he went and told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. <laughs> Listen to the dream that this, that this arrogant, pompous favorite of dad kid who has this really colorful coat says to his brothers, Hear this dream that I have dreamed, brothers. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheave arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and his words. Joseph says, Guys, not only does dad like me better, I'm going to be your king one day. The heck you are. Then he dreamed another dream and told his brothers that, behold, I have dreamed another dream. If the one about the sheaves was enough, behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. The 11 stars being his brothers. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Shepherding the flock with his half-brothers and his brothers, and he tells his dad they're not doing a good job. Some commentators believe that Joseph was actually lying about his brothers because the phrase says, and he gave a bad report. And that Hebrew phrase, bad report, is used in numbers and a couple of other places to mean a lie, a bad story. So you have this annoying young father's favorite turning into a tattletale, possibly making up the story. He's already Jacob's favorite son. And this action with the jacket and everything else cements his devotion to Joseph above all others, no matter what. 
This robe of many colors is a very special public display of a dad's affection. It gives honor to Joseph, and everyone knew what it meant. Joseph first, all of us second. Jacob makes the sibling rivalry even worse than it already was by showing his favor that way. And Joseph encouraged it. Dad, show them how much you love me more than them. Encourage it with his attitude. There is intense hatred at this point. Like I said, this would be the best Jerry Springer show ever. So that's the history. Talk about the spiritual. What does God do in this situation? I want to talk about unconditional election. If you were trying, think about this now. If you were trying to glorify your religion and its roots, this would not be the family to do it with. You would never put these ridiculous details out in the open like so many other stories in the Old Testament. It's crucial to understanding the story of Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve, David. We talked about David sometime. That was a messed up family, too. The dysfunction of these people is off the charts. They're crazy, y'all. And somehow in the middle of that, it gives more glory to God's sovereign grace than man's accomplishment or man's merit could ever imagine. It is, in fact, unearned favor. We can clearly see with all of this family dysfunction, God choosing of Abraham was most definitely not earned. Abraham's family was not chosen to reward them, but simply because God wanted to show his glory through them. Matter of fact, in Deuteronomy, it spells this out. Here's what God says. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people's, But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. In fact, you were the fewest, the least of all people. That the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. In fact, if you want to go even further, not only was Abraham's family chosen not of their own merit. In reality, Jacob... Joseph's father was chosen over his brother Esau without merit. In Romans chapter 10, verses, uh, verse, chapter 9, verse 10 to 13, here's what Paul wrote. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born, did you hear that? And not yet done anything, good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, and Esau have I hated. The same was true for Joseph. Joseph isn't who made Joseph special. God made Joseph special. More about that in a little bit. But then there's also this idea of life in Egypt. There's a warning that even though Joseph is chosen and Abraham and his family is chosen, life won't be easy. It never is. And the pursuit of an easy, comfortable life is a ridiculous, foolish errand. We try hard, though, don't we? 
try to keep our ducks in a row, and somehow somebody always comes and scatters our ducks. Even those that receive God's sovereign grace live in a world full of depravity, their own and everyone else. Matter of fact, in John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Then I want you to see the perseverance of God's dysfunctional chosen. Yet even in Egypt, God's blessing perseveres and overcomes the purpose the world has for us as it did for Abraham and his sons. God's plan always supersedes, no matter how tight the grip Egypt seems to have on our soul, no matter how deep our dysfunction, God's will always supersedes. James chapter 1, verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. But don't be fooled, church. Even our ability to stand the test and the trial is a result of God's calling overriding our dysfunction. Even our ability to sustain ourselves and survive in Egypt is a result of sovereign grace. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 24 He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Okay, so that's the history. There's a lot of history there. There's a lot. I just unloaded for you about a whole semester's worth of theology there in that little section, okay? Bear with me. It's an introduction to a whole series. I had to do it that way. Personal, what about me? What about us? What are we supposed to do? I'm going to talk about embracing dysfunction. You know, Many preach this story of Joseph and they preach him as a picture or a type of Jesus. No, he's a type of us. (laughs) I'm so glad for that. Can I just tell you? Could you imagine saying, well, you know, Joseph, your story, you're going to be a picture of Jesus. What? You see what I did to my brothers when I was young? I want to talk about sovereignty. I don't know about you. But I find amazing comfort in the fact that God chose such dysfunctional people. (laughs) I am so glad he didn't pick perfect people. I'm so glad they were messed up. It makes sense why he might choose me to be a pastor, frankly. Or some of you, because let me tell you, some of y'all are messed up now. And you know I'm right. But somehow God's sovereignty overrides and intervenes. And in the midst of our dysfunction, his sovereignty reigns supreme. Thank you, God, for picking messed up people. Amen. And he's messed up. Trust me. <laughs> then I want to talk about humility. Have you ever been shocked by behavior and sins of, and sins of God's people? Here's the thing. If you're shocked by it, you may not have a full understanding of why God had to take such drastic steps to send his son to die for you. See, here's the thing. When we try to deny, try to cover up our dysfunction, 
You know what it is, in my opinion? It is an insult to what God had to do to bring us back to him. I'm not saying that we glorify our dysfunction. We do not. But we certainly, in humility, confess and acknowledge it. Don't cover it up. Expose it. And when that happens, it brings us to a level of vulnerability. It's one of the key components of living the grace life is this vulnerability. We try to grade our dysfunction on a curve, don't we? I mean, we give other people's dysfunction the proper grade. <laughs> but ours, you know, if it's a D plus, we're going C minus. But when you become face to face for the first time with your depravity, it can be a shocker. However, personally speaking, we can find great peace in acknowledging our dysfunction. In fact, when we acknowledge it in the correct way that gives God glory, think about the peace it brings for others. Oh, that's you too? And you're connected to dad? Well, maybe there's hope for me yet. When we strip away the self-righteousness that veil of perfection that religion is so good at creating. And we give all glory to the grace that has transformed us anyway. So you guys know that uh, my sermon coach is Pastor Daryl. He was one of the pastors that helped found Grace Life, dear friend of mine. He's retired and he's moved up to Siberia, I mean Pennsylvania. And <laughs> he's up there. It's very cold. And I was talking about it this week. And Daryl said, you know what, I want you to share the church something about me. He said, for years when I was first a pastor, I would be very judgmental of other families. How can you not have a good marriage? And how can you have kids that you can't control? He said, after a while, I had a terrible marriage and ended a divorce. He goes, and I had a kid that I couldn't control. And he says, I was embarrassed by my dysfunction. He says, I was burdened by it. I was disheartened. I thought, maybe I can't be a pastor anymore. And he said, it was at that moment that I began to realize God's sovereign grace is all I need. It's hard for a pastor to admit that, right? Joe, I got to tell you, the time I learned the most is when I realized my family is just as dysfunctional as anyone else, even lawyers. You lawyers, it's just a joke. I'm just kidding. <laughs> See, here's what happens when we embrace our dysfunction in a vulnerable way. It inspires others to embrace the freedom to acknowledge their need for Jesus just like we did. That's why so much of the Old Testament chronicles the sins and shortfalls of God's chosen people. It shows us, even in the story of Joseph, that sovereign grace is the path to heavenly dad, not religion or self-righteousness. And it's okay. In fact, it is required that we be willing to show the same type of humility and vulnerability that they display in all their Old Testament stories. Moses, do you really have to write that? Yep. <laughs> I got to tell you, I was thinking through this this week. 
figuring out what direction to go with this life of Joseph thing. And something kept coming back to me time after time. I am so thankful for their dysfunction. I am so thankful their family is an absolute mess. I am so glad that these people did not have a clue to have how to have a good family or treat one another. I'm so glad that God made sure we knew just how ridiculous his chosen were back then. Aren't you? They're ridiculous. So are we. It certainly helps me understand how I can be connected to the Father even during my modern day dysfunction. I'm pretty certain, at least I hope, in the time that I have left on life, that my dysfunction won't reach the level that theirs has. It might. That's me grading on a curve, maybe. <laughs> but I am so glad. When I look at stories like this, the one we're about to study, that it gives me a concrete biblical example about how God's sovereign grace intervenes and overcomes even the worst possible human condition in the world. Thank you, God. Heavenly Dad, as we start this series on Joseph, I think about the song that uh, the band sang today. You keep coming after us. Kick down every wall, everything. You move the obstacles. Even those placed there by our own dysfunction. You transform us, you call us, you use us, and it is not because of anything other than your sovereign grace. God, I am so thankful that your grace has pierced through our dysfunction and called us out of darkness into light and connected to you through Christ.